To begin my time here at Northminster, I wanted to do a sermon series on some of my life verses. What are some of the verses of Scripture that mean a lot to me that I base my faith and my life on? And I start with probably my favorite, the very poorly named parable of the prodigal son. Now, to understand this parable, you really have to understand two things. First, you have to understand who, Je- who is hearing the parable, who's in the room when Jesus is talking. And the beginning of Luke 15 actually tells us specifically that there are two groups of people talk- uh, listening. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. These groups are very, very important to understanding the story. Tax collectors get a bad rap because they're sort of looked at as really bad, dishonest used car salesmen. Uh, But that's not really the case with tax collectors. That's not the problem with tax collectors. Actually, most of them probably fairly honest. The real problem with tax collectors was that they had paid money to the occupying army, the Romans, for the right to collect taxes from their friends, families, and neighbors. They were traitors, you understand? They made a living by supporting the people that all the other people hated. Okay? They were not good. Sinners was a specific group of people. We use the term sinners and we say, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, everybody's a sinner. But in the Bible, when it says sinners, what it means is a class of people that were always considered sinners, either because of something wrong with them or because of the the life that they lived. They were people who, because of an illness, because of their livelihood, uh, people like lepers that could never go to the temple. If you lived your life and you could never go to the temple, you could never make sacrifices to God and be made right with God. These people were called sinners because they were doomed to be sinners. They could never go be made right with God. Yes, we're all sinners. They had no way to fix it. Now these people, these tax collectors and sinners that nobody seemed to like, are gathering around Jesus and listening to him. And he's hanging out with them. And he's eating with them. But there's this other group of people also attracted to Jesus. People that are attracted to power. The scribes and the Pharisees. They're the other side of the spectrum. They're super religious and upright. They have gained special favor with God, a special relationship with God. And they are there judging both the people that Jesus is talking to And, in fact, questioning Jesus himself. Why would Jesus talk to these sinners and these tax collectors? Jesus gives this parable and the three little parables before that, two parables before that, uh, about the lost sheep and the lost coin, because he wants to say something to that particular group, those particular groups. You also have to understand who the star of the parable is. And Jesus is very specific here, and we seem to miss it, especially when we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus begins the parable. He says, there was a man who had two sons. Jesus tells us specifically that the parable is about a man who has two sons, and apparently we're supposed to compare the two sons or something to tell us something about the man. So let's pretend we've never heard this parable before. We don't have our understanding of the parable of the prodigal son And let's get into the story. Act one, the lost younger brother. The younger brother goes to his father and demands his share of the estate. In those days, you got a share of the estate if you were a son. The elder brother would get more than everybody else to try to keep the family land together, a family business together a little bit more. But at your father's death, 
you would be entitled to part of the estate. Um, but did you hear that? At your father's death. To go to your father when your father was still alive and say, hey, I want my share of the estate now. That's to wish your father dead. That's to say to the father, I want your stuff, but I want nothing to do with you. This is a very public comment, too, because the father does not have like stock. You know what I mean? There's not money in the bank. He doesn't have to pull from his pension. You know what he has to do? If he wants to give this son a part of his estate, he's got to sell the estate. He's got to sell what would be a third of the land and a third of the sheep and a third of the grain, a third of the vineyard. He'd have to liquidate assets. To, you know what that means? The whole town knows that this son went to his father and demanded his share of the estate. And what this father should do is chase the son off, disown him. Our son, I want nothing to do with you. You want nothing to do with me? Get out of here. You're not my son anymore. But instead... This son gives, the, this father gives this nasty son what he wants. He divides his property. And, and your property was so much a part of who you are that the Greek word for property here is the word bios, from which we get biology. What the text literally says is that the father divides his life to give it to his son. The son is loved even in his rejection of the father. So the young son, the young brother, goes to a far off land and spends all his money on reckless living. This is actually what the word prodigal means. When we say prodigal, we typically mean like a, like a son or a daughter who runs away from home and rebels. But that's only because of this parable. The word prodigal actually means to spend lavishly. Okay? The Kardashians, they're prodigal. Okay? They never left home, but they spend it like crazy. Okay? That's what prodigal means. He's prodigal not because he left home. He's prodigal because he spends it on Lord knows what. The elder brother has some ideas about what it might be. But we're not totally sure. But he, he spends like crazy until he has nothing. Spends it all. Blows it all. He's in a foreign land and then a drought comes. Well, if there's a drought, if there's anything like that in the community, what you would do is you would gather together with your family and all the family that had, you know, stores of grain and extra animals you could get together as a family. But here's a son in a faraway land, doesn't know people, out of money, has rejected his family. He's got nothing, and the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now, if you're Jewish, are pigs good or bad? Bad. This is as bad as you can get. This is about as bad as you can get if you're Jewish. You've got to go feed a dirty, unclean animal. See, this son, after that kind of living, after that kind of rejection of his father, you know what he is? He's a sinner. He's a sinner. He's never going to get to come back. He's never going to get to go to the temple. How could he? He is a sinner. But he comes to his senses and he hatches a plan. There's no way my father will accept me as a son, but he's got hired servants to work for him. They've got what they need. I'll go back. I'll apologize. I'll work for my father, start to pay him off over time, all the money I blew. I can never be a son, but maybe, just maybe, he'll have some compassion and let me work for him as an employee. Now, both groups listening to this, they, they, they love this story, right? The sinners and the tax collectors understand this idea of groveling back to family and wondering if the family is going to accept him. Probably he'll yell and kick him out and we won't know how, what happens to this son. And the, the, tax, the, the scribes and Pharisees, all oh, they know. They know what this is going to be. Judgment time. Here it comes. Here it comes. Everybody knows what's going to happen in this story. 
But it takes a shocking twist to both groups. The father sees his son off in the distance a long way. How often had that father looked to the horizon to see if his son would come home? How, how habitual had it become to just look off? Might my son be here? Pray, Lord, my son, is he there? Is he there? And he runs to him. Fathers in these days don't run. Patriarchs don't run. Kids could run. Women, maybe. Young men, okay. But you would have had to hike up your outfit and expose your legs. And no father would have done that. No father would have run to a son. But he does. He runs and he embraces and he kisses his son. In fact, his father looks more like a mother right now in his compassion and care for his son. He doesn't even let his son finish his apology. The speech he's been working on all these miles. The father just embraces, uh-uh, and get the robe, the best robe. Well, who had the best robe? The father. Go get my robe. Put it on this kid. Go get the ring. In, the, in those days, your ring was like your credit card. Okay, if you had the father's ring with the father's seal, you could go do business in the name of the father. This, this father will not have any any comment about hired servants? No, 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 no. Right away, before the apology even gets out, my son's back. My son is back. So he kills the fatted calf. In those days, meat is a delicacy. And if you have a fatted calf, you've been raising this calf for a long time. And there's no refrigeration. You can't, you can't store this. So when the fatted calf is slain, it's got to be eaten. So this is a huge party. The whole community gets invited to share in the meal, to share in the wealth. Big party, blowout party. And in most of our interpretations of the parable of the prodigal son, it should stop here. After all, the prodigal is back. But we have act two, the lost elder brother. He's out working in the fields. He doesn't even know his son has returned, which is interesting because the whole community is invited to the party, but the son's still out working. Maybe he already has an estranged relationship with his father. He's off in the distance, and the text says he hears the sound of the party. He hears the music and the dancing. I don't know what your college days were like and what kind of parties you went to. But when you hear the dancing in the distance, it's a rockin' party. Okay? He hears the dumping of the party of the dancing. And he asks the servant, what's, what's going on? And the servant tells him, your, your brother, he's back. My brother's back. He's real happy about it, excited, goes into the party, right? No, he refuses to go in. Another, by the way, public rejection of the father, similar to the, el- the younger brother. Okay, The whole community is in there. And if you don't go in and support your father, then guess what? You have rejected your father. So the father comes out and talks to him, begs him, and treats him. Come into the party, come into the party. But listen to what the elder brother says again. Look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you, gave, you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. His words are very, very telling. First, he doesn't address his father as father. He says, look, look. And really, the text could say, look, you, because he, he, what he should say is, as a patriarch, he should say, Father, he says, look, you, you can imagine his pointer finger coming out. Look, you. He says, I have served you these many years. The word actually that he uses is slaved. 
Father, I've slaved for you. Slaved? That's your relationship with your father? You slaved for him? I have slaved for you these many years. You never even gave me a goat. But when this son of yours, he won't even call his brother by name, won't even call him his brother, this son of yours comes back. He's outraged by his father's reckless spending. But his father replies, and listen to the tenderness of these words again. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He tells the elder brother, look, all I have is yours. You know, if you didn't enjoy the father's stuff, it wasn't because the father wasn't willing to give it, he says. The father is once again rejected by a son that seems to want his stuff, but not him. But yet again, look at the grace of this father who doesn't yell at the other brother, doesn't disown him, doesn't force him, grab him, throw him into the party. (coughs) What does he say? Please come in. Please come to the party. Come be a part of this joy. Be a part of my joy. (coughs) And interestingly, there is no act three to the parable. It just simply ends. A cliffhanger. We're left to wonder, will the elder brother go into the party? Will the younger brother stick around? How will the relationships work out in the future? But of course, that's the point. Do you see what Jesus has done? He has painted both audiences into a story masterfully. The sinners and the tax collectors look at this story and they say, yep, I am the younger brother. That's me. And the priests and the scribes look at this elder brother who's been good his whole life. And unfortunately, they can kind of see themselves in this brother too. They are the ones judging Jesus and judging these younger brothers in the crowd. And the question for them is, will you come in to this party? And both sons, both groups have their expectations blown away. You have two sons, one who's very good and one who's very bad, and they're both alienated from the father. They both love the father. No, they love the father's stuff and not really the father. One son is lost in his badness, but one son is actually lost in his goodness. Jesus is showing that there's two ways to be lost from God. One is by being really, really bad and outright rejecting God so that you think God could never love you or forgive you again. The other, though, is to be so good and holy that you think you don't need God or that God should love you. But you understand this is also a rejection of God in favor of God's stuff. This seems wrong to us as it does to that original crowd. Don't you think the good one should be in and the bad one should be out? Except here, the humble one is in and the proud one is out. And today you stand hearing this parable with them. Which brother are you? Maybe you're a younger brother. You've rebelled. You run far away from God as you could. done terrible things and feel like God could never love you. Maybe you're an elder brother and you've been good your whole life, never left home, always volunteered for lots of good stuff at church, but you don't have a deep and authentic relationship with God. In fact, when your life goes bad, you get mad because you assume God owes you something because you've been such a good son 
or daughter. In fact, God's lucky to have you, isn't he? By the way, the Greek word for elder is the word presbuteros. Presbuteros. You say, oh, I know that. Well, actually you do. Because the elder brother, the, the word elder, is later used for, to name a form of government led by elders based on presbuteros. Presbyterian. The elder brother, he's the Presbyterian brother. You got that? <laughs> and too often we are the elder brother. But let's be sure we don't get too wrapped up in the brothers because remember, according to Jesus, the parable is about the father. And this father is unlike any earthly father. In fact, this God he's describing is unlike any other God, so much so that the early Christians were called atheists because their God just didn't make sense to anyone else around them. This father is publicly rejected by two sons who want his stuff but don't want him. But he doesn't react in anger as he rightly should and the community would have totally understood. Instead, this father extends grace upon grace. He sacrifices. He gives and he gives and he pleads and he loves and he runs when he has every right to do the exact opposite to his children. Remember what the word prodigal actually means to spend lavishly. You know who spends the most in this parable? It's the father. The father is the most prodigal. Spending, giving, loving when it is not deserved. Jesus presents our prodigal God who gives and gives and gives. So if you're here and you're a younger brother and you've run the other way and been bad, I want you to get this image of the father watching the horizon for your return, ready to run to you, ready to embrace you. You cannot be so bad or have done such bad things that Jesus will not still run to you and embrace you. You just can't do it. God's love is so much bigger and so much more prodigal, so much more lavish than you can ever imagine. So remember that image of the father running to put a cloak on you. And if you're that elder brother, the Presbyterian brother, and you have slaved for God, but not really had a relationship with the father. I want you to hold on to this image of God coming to you and pleading with you, begging with you, come into the party. Come into the party. All that I have is yours. Come into the party. Come into my joy. Because that's our God that sacrifices and spends for us. He divided his own bios, his own life on the cross for us. He gave us everything. That is the love of the Father that we have. What will you do with your heavenly Father? Amen.